if you would like to uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is true, and your word is wisdom, and your word is life, and we are so privileged, so honored to be able to have your word in front of us to open up and read at any time, Father God. Let's not neglect that. Lord, thank you for this church, Lord, and all the people in it, Lord. I'm so grateful to see uh, all of the people that are here, Lord. And um, we're saying something matter, Lord, to, to hear from you, to hear your word, Lord. So may it not be my words, may it be your words, Lord. May it be a message from you uh, directed to each and every person and uh, received in their hearts, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for this time. May you be honored, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have titled my lesson, Ambush. So I'm usually in that back room with the youth on Thursday nights. And since Mike wasn't able to be here today and he asked me to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue with the study that we're going uh, through in the book of Acts with the youth. And I chose to study the book of Acts with the youth because I recognize, and I think many of you also recognize that there's an urgency in this day and age for us to be prepared for war. I'm not talking about physical war. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. We need spiritual boldness and an all-in mentality, just like the first disciples in the book of Acts that made up the early church. They were empowered by the Spirit of God, and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for that reason, we have churches of Jesus Christ all over the world, including this wonderful congregation here in El Paso, Texas, which I'm glad to be a part of. However, the work that they started is not yet done. The war rages on, and so as we fight this spiritual fight, we need boldness, just like those first disciples. We need empowerment from the Spirit. So the theme verse that we use in our youth study through the book of Acts is down in 2 Timothy. sake of Christ, 
ours should not be a state of Christianity. So we kid ourselves if we think the Christian life is full of sunshine and rainbows and fluffy unicorns. Right? Christianity is not for the faint of heart. There it says that uh, the soldier of Christ does not become entangled in the concerns of civilian life, but is focused on the cause of Christ. He seeks first the kingdom. He prioritizes Christ above all else. As Paul writes, everything else is garbage when compared to knowing Christ. The soldier doesn't get easily distracted by shiny objects or by squirrels scurrying up a tree. Exactly. He recognizes that this world and the things of it will one day pass away. Those are the things that Jesus said are corrupted by naught and rust and are susceptible to theft. The soldier of Christ rather stores up for himself treasures in heaven. And finally, the soldier of Christ, as it says in the verse, seeks to please the commanding officer. He shows he loves Christ by obeying his commands. He knows well that the commanding officer laid down his own life for his soldiers. The soldier of Christ understands that he is a soldier of Christ only because Christ loved him and demonstrated that love by dying for him. He takes seriously the charge to love thy God. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, the soldier of Christ gives himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is his true act of worship. So before we move on, I want to address any thoughts that may be uh, out there. And maybe I'll just talk about being soldiers and about fighting in a war. Maybe that's all a little bit too extreme. And maybe I'm exaggerating the situation to make it fit nicely into a certain thing. After all, we don't have government agents knocking on our doors or storming our churches to confiscate our Bibles or to force us to stop worshiping God. We don't have that. So that, that might be true. But as Paul points out in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The struggle is against spiritual forces. And these forces are at war with the kingdom of God. So, excellent. So when you see our government, our culture, our entertainment industry, all of those things, even our own neighbors, people who live next to us, when they oppose biblical principles and Christian values, when these forces are making progress and leading the sheep astray, this is how you know that we are at war. It may not be a literal war with bombs and bullets, but it's something actually more dangerous than that. Because it's a threat to the very soul of man. So I titled my message Ambushed. And ambushed, as you may know, is a type of attack. An attack characterized by the following. So we see this. It's an attack from a concealed position. Second of all, the attack is meant to surprise the enemy. It's meant to strike when least expected. And third, the attack, of course, has to be carefully planned out in advance. The time and location of the attack must be carefully chosen so that the ambush might be successful, so that the enemy might be caught off guard and fall. So perhaps you've heard of the cliche, expect the unexpected. Or how about this one, be prepared for anything. Such advice may be a foreshadow of something unpleasant 
to your right or before your eyeball with suspicion your neighbor or your neighbor's neighbor. Take a cue from the disciples at the Last Supper. Lord, is it me? Do what I have within me the ability to betray my Lord? To turn my back and leave him? The Bible encourages each one of us to regularly examine ourselves. To be sure what is it think? It's a type of heart check that no stethoscope can do. But thankfully, as prone to wander as we all are, the Lord keeps us better. If we belong to Him, if we truly belong to Him, no force in earth can separate us. Even our own deceitful hearts, it is He who keeps us and not we ourselves. So we move on to the second element of the ambush, which is the surprise attack. The second element of the ambush is the sudden and surprising nature of the attack. The attacker has been waiting for his concealed position for just the right moment, explodes from his hiding place to strike. Judas, the attacker in this scenario, finally bursts out from his hiding, and the ambush is on. We read the passage in Acts uh, of the words of Peter, which say in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So the scene is a familiar one. Jesus is playing in the garden while the disciples are over there asleep. You guys know. Jesus is in agony, sweating drops of blood. Well, he's going to slumber over there, oblivious to the danger that's approaching. So the betrayal is at hand. The surprise attack is underway. So let's read uh, the, the account in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him. From the chief priests and the elders of the people, his betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, Why have you come? And they came up to hold of Jesus and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant, high priest's servant and cut off his ear. So we have already discussed there are indeed pretenders hiding among church congregations. Right? That's, that's fact. Men and women sitting in pews or comfy green chairs who are physically in church but spiritually far from it. Some of, some of these are known as nominal Christians, which means Christian in name only. They may do no other harm than to take your favorite seat in church, or maybe lead you to the donut that you wanted to get. Right? However, there are others who are like Judas, and they're waiting from their concealed position for an opportune time to ambush the unsuspecting. Such have done damage of all sorts as their true colors are revealed. John writes about these individuals in First John, chapter two. It says they went out of they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them 
showing the true nature, nature yet. Before long, however, they're outed in some way, proving they never belonged to the church in the first place. Some would call this apostasy. But recently, others would, will call it something different. They soften the language and refer to it as deconstruction. Perhaps you've heard the term. It's become a hashtag nowadays. It's become almost a movement. Maybe you've heard of news about so-and-so Christian music, music artist or so-and-so Christian author um, seemingly suddenly embracing progressive Christianity or even leaving the faith entirely to embrace some weird combination of beliefs. They say they've deconstructed. They insist that this deconstruction or deconstructing is a good thing and would encourage others to do the same. So I, I've kind of been following this movement and uh, there's there's a guy who is actually the lead singer for uh, a Christian rock band called Skillet. His name is John Cooper. Uh, I don't listen to Skillet. That's not really my music. Uh, so I can't say anything about the music, but I do listen to his, his podcast and, and he's got a, a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, and he stirred up some controversy recently and he spoke out about this movement and he says the following, uh, there's no such thing as divorcing Jesus Christ from the Bible. That is not a thing. I don't hate the deconstructed Christians. I pray for their repentance. But listen, they have divorced themselves from God. And they want to take as many of you people as they can. It is time for us in your generation to declare war on this idolatrous deconstruction Christian movement. Okay? So deconstruction movement, we want to understand what that is. Um, so to get a better idea with, with what we're dealing with, I'll cite uh, Eliza Childers, who is uh, uh, a blogger, a podcaster, and she wrote an article titled Why We Should Not Redeem Deconstruction. And she writes about deconstruction and defines it in this way. And I quote, In context of faith, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs we grew up with. Sometimes a Christian will deconstruct all the way into atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. I would add that it rarely retains any vestiges of actual Christianity. And these people who are questioning and dissecting and breaking down everything about the faith, and then they're keeping what they like and getting rid of what they don't. And this kind of thing is in this deconstruction movement. So for for Lisa Childers, this is a, a very personal issue for her. She, she details this in her article. She says, many years ago, my Christian beliefs were challenged intellectually by a progressive Christian pastor. Um, Christian pastor. It threw me into deconstruction that took several years to fully come out of. I found out later that he himself had already deconstructed and had hoped to propel his congregation into deconstruction so that he could convert them to progressive Christianity. And he was very good at it. In fact, he was almost totally successful. A few of us came back around to a historically Christian understanding of the gospel, but most did not. Because of this, when deconstruction stories started popping up in my social media newsfeed, along with hashtags like Hashtag evangelical and hashtag 
instruction, I paid attention. I've been following along, seeking to understand what people mean by those words. So don't get me wrong, having questions, being intellectually challenged, those are not bad things. Ask the youth here at the church if I ever challenged them intellectually. I hope I challenge you intellectually with tonight's study. Our young people need to understand that our faith is more than the bedtime stories they heard when they were little about a snake talking in the garden, a boat full of animals floating on flood waters, a man who was followed by a giant whale. It's more than that. The young Christians need to take ownership of their faith, not, I'm a Christian and I go to church because I'm a member. Right? As they do this, as they do this process, of course they'll have questions. Of course they'll be challenged. And I'm not mad about that part. It's part of the process of maturing in the faith. So in fact, if you never have questions, if your beliefs have never been challenged, then you're not taking Christianity very seriously. So, again, that's not the problem. The problem is with this deconstruction movement is that the process undermines the Bible. It undermines its importance, its authority, its status as the word of the living God. It tells people you don't have to believe everything the Bible says. You can pick and choose what you like, what they style. Deconstruction tells people you are judge over scripture, and you can determine whether the text is right or wrong. Deconstruction tells people that each person can end up with a different set of personal beliefs, and that's okay. That's not okay. So I would like to bring attention to um, one of these uh, famous celebrity pastors that maybe you've heard of. His name is Andy Stanley, uh, and he's, he's, he said a lot about this recently. Uh, just to kind of summarize where he's at in his position, he has asserted that the Bible is nothing more than a collection of ancient stories and other superstitious texts, and it's not as and it's not as important as you might have been led to believe, and it's not necessary for your faith. That's what he's saying. So here's a pro tip: don't listen to him. And if you listen to him, stop listening right now. Stop listening to anyone like him who would belittle the Bible in this way or any other way. So here's a couple of quotes from him to to kind of give you the picture, his own words. He says this, when it comes to knowing if there is a God, if there, and if there is a God, what is God like? And when it comes to trying to figure out who God likes, it doesn't really come down to the Bible tells us so. He says, it doesn't really come down to the Bible tells us so. Or any other religious literature tells us so. So I would respond to him, are you serious? You're kidding me, right? In the room on the other side of this wall, other side of this wall, we got our, our children, our children's ministry, and they're being taught exactly the way that Stanley is criticizing here. The children are learning that we can know about God, what he is like, who he is, what his attributes are, they're using that word attributes, and that we can know these things because God has given us a book to tell us things God wants us to know about him. God has revealed himself through his word. To quote Spurgeon, which I have to give every time I'm up there, it says, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, a person, the work, the doings, and the existence. 
So they laid out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him, to betray Jesus. So think about all the planning involved in this plot that Jews had to betray Jesus. Right? First, the notion to betray Jesus in the first place had to originate somehow. Right? Maybe he started daydreaming about it during the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of, you know, zoned out. Because he obviously wasn't paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Well, maybe one of those meddlesome Pharisees approached him and because they, they recognized that he was maybe a crack in, in, in the group of apostles. Um, but whatever it was, Jesus ended up had, having to go and talk to the right people who were willing to pay him the money that he wanted to betray Jesus. Uh, he had to, as the text indicated, determine where and when the betrayal was to take place. With that came the logistics, right? Logistics of rounding up an angry mob, a company of soldiers, and equipping everybody with um, clubs and swords and torches. And the group had to be ready at the specified time and location, maybe without much uh, notice. And finally, we all know this part, just had to give them a signal to let them know which of those men in, in, in the dark uh, was actually Jesus, right? He had to let them know which men to arrest the now famous Judas Kiss. So all the planning that he did, it seemed to have paid off, right? And the ambush went without a hitch. So let's turn back to Acts, and we shall see that Judas wasn't as smart as we think he was. Again, verse 16 says this, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So you see, everything that Judas did, all of his planning and plotting and scheming, what he thought was a successful ambush, it actually was all foretold in scripture. It all played out according to not his, but God's plans and purposes, which he communicated to his servant David. Peter elaborates in Acts 1.20 when he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. So Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God, interprets these verses from the Psalms, which, by the way, is Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, as referring to Judas. He uses this prophecy as a basis for suggesting to the apostles that they choose someone else to take Judas's place. So the point should be clear. God knew in advance that Judas would be born, would grow up to be a false disciple, would be an awful traitor, would kill himself, would vacate his spot and leave it open for someone else to take God knew all of this. But we can make a stronger assertion than just God knew that would happen. Not only did he know it would happen, it wasn't just a really good guess. It wasn't just a super accurate prediction. God doesn't do guesswork. This was all part of his master plan. God was not surprised by the events that we just went over. The thoughts and intentions of Judas were not hidden from God. And like I said, there's no ambushing the God of the universe. So what does that mean for us? It says, so when things happen that we don't quite understand, when life catches us off guard, 
scripture, we read the Bible, and we see the big picture that God gave to us, right? We see how things unfold, how Joseph suffered in prison. And he later he understood that it was part of God's plan. He told he tells his brothers, he meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. And what about Job? He lost everything, but we read that God had a purpose in it. Because it was to show Satan that Job would not turn away from him, that Job would not curse God. And, and of course, this one, the Bible tells us how Jesus died on the cross, how the worst crime in human history was the killing of the innocent Son of God. And that was meant to save us. So the same God who orchestrated the events that we read about in Scripture is still active in bringing His plan and His purposes to pass in our lives and in our world. So let's, let's finish up in Acts. And we, we go back to Acts chapter 1. Uh, the last two verses that we read in our, our passage, it says, Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for him, for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So God's knowledge goes way beyond just knowing what's going to happen, knowing what events will come to pass. He can peer into the very heart of a man and read that heart. And that includes each of us. Nothing is hidden from him. If that unsettles you, if it makes you uncomfortable, do you know that? Then be uncomfortable. Remember how I mentioned that the Bible encourages us to check ourselves regularly, to ask, what am I fit for the battle? God already knows. He already knows whether I'm fit for the battle. So we need to ask God, who knows our hearts better than we know our own hearts. Ask God to reveal to you the extent of your devotion the crown of Christ. Remember the, the rich young ruler? He, he got that. He got that revelation of, of, of his devotion. Even though he was blind, he, he was shown his blind spot. He said, look, this is where your devotion is lacking. And his lack of devotion proved that he had no sort of devotion at all. He thought he was doing good in keeping the commandment. He said, yeah, yeah, I did all that. But in reality, he couldn't even check off row one. So in a sad scene, the rich young ruler reveals his spiritual poverty and his lack of rule of his own heart as he turned away from following Jesus because he rather had his stuff. And let that not be true of us. So may God show us how to live in a way that is pleasing to him. May we trust and obey him even when we are uncertain. Let us each declare war on our own sinfulness and take up the cause of that first group of, dis of disciples, that first group of soldiers, the apostles who were, com who were commissioned by Jesus himself to be his witnesses, to take the gospel of Jesus to the end of the earth. Lord knows the hearts everyone's heart, and he has chosen us to take up his ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, we're just blown away 
trust what you need trusting, O oh Lord, to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, to be engaged in this spiritual warfare. Lord, you have equipped us. And we pray, Lord, that we would have that boldness, that courage, that dedication, that devotion, Lord. Let us not turn away from you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.